Welcome back to the Leaders Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Eslick. Excited for you guys to meet Mr. Adam Strong. Adam is known as the game changer, best-selling author, entrepreneur, international speaker, and founder of the Game Changers Experience Podcast. He currently runs three different businesses and works with leaders and entrepreneurs in the professional services industry to help them go from confusion to clarity to create exponential growth. Adam is a former elite athlete and he trained with Olympic and world champion Sir Mo Farah for three years. He takes the same skill set that he learned as an elite athlete to train his clients on how to increase profitability by building purpose-led, results-oriented, and impactful businesses. He is the best-selling author of three books, Move It or Lose It, Fit Body, Fit Business, and Play the Game. Adam is the host of the Game Changers Experience, a globally ranked podcast in the top 2% that shares tips and insights with business disruptors, thought leaders, and experts. Adam is hugely passionate about helping his clients in growing and scaling their businesses in a fast and strategic way. Tying that with helping people he believes is a great catalyst to creating results and success in life. Adam is a champion for supporting women and became the best man for supporting women in business in 2016. He has been featured on the front cover of Influential People Magazine, Steer Magazine, and Global Man Magazine, BBC Radio, The Huffington Post, In People Management Magazine, Forbes, CIO, Edge, HR Director, and Diversity Q. He has interviewed influencers, thought leaders such as Jack Canfield, Marshall Goldsmith, Dr. John Martini, Chester Elton, Evan Carmichael, and Olympic athletes such as Neil Fasci, Jonathan Horton, and Kate Strong. He has shared the stage with celebrities such as John Travolta, Vanilla Ice, Calvin Klein, 50 Cent, and Dr. Nito Cubine. That's a party right there. Feel free to connect with him on social media. We'll put his notes in the show notes. Please join me in giving a Leaders Lab welcome to Mr. Adam Strong. Hey, Adam, welcome to the Leaders Lab. Hey, Ken, thanks so much. Excited to be here on the show with you. We're excited to have you. You've got a quite a background ranging from, you know, ultra sports, you know, business. Can you talk to me a little bit about your, I always like to start with kind of the upbringing. I like to know the kind of story of the entrepreneur and of the leader and maybe kind of walk us through your, your early days. Sure. Happy to do that. So, well, I've been in business, actually. I first started up my first business at the age of 11. So it's kind of like 30 plus years. And it's interesting because at the age of 11, Ken, I went through what I would call a midlife crisis, <laughs> just kind of a bit much earlier on. So what happened to me at the age of 11? So I didn't particularly have a great childhood upbringing. I didn't particularly have a great one, unfortunately. I was through the foster care system. I lost my hair through a condition called alopecia, which is a common form of hair loss. And I literally just lost all my hair. I woke up one day and it literally just came out in handfuls when I was 10 years old. And that was kind of like the beginning journey for me. So I I was so ashamed about the way I looked. I had to wear like a baseball cap when I went to school. So when I'm wearing my uniform and stuff, I wear a baseball cap. Even when I was going out in public, I was just so ashamed about the way I looked. And so at the age of 11, I I was encouraged through my father to get into, into distance running. 
And so I literally had zero experience in distance running. I didn't, I wouldn't class myself as an athlete back in the day. The reason for that, Ken, is actually, I was actually suffering from, I was an asthma sufferer. So (laughs) you're probably thinking to yourself, like, why would a 11-year-old boy that suffers from asthma want to get into distance running? That's completely delusional, right? right? That's craziness, right? So I turned up one day, I got down to the athletic, Got down to the athletics track. I didn't go with anyone. I went on my own at 11 years old. I didn't particularly have a lot of, what's the word I was looking for? Mentors and support structures like my parents. They weren't really there for me. I was just kind of like there on my own type of thing. So I went down to the athletics track. And I I remember when I actually appeared at at the athletics track and I got to the counter and the counter looked like it was about 12 feet tall, literally 12 feet tall. That's kind of what it looked like as an 11-year-old, right? And then this lady kind of like peered over. And she, <laughs> she's like, hey, can I help you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm interested in potentially joining a running club. She's like, oh, great, fantastic. What's your experience? I went, nothing. She went, okay, what event do you want to do? I was like, well, I was been told that I should do distance running. She went, great. She's, I said, but there's a snag. I went, what's the snag? And I told her, I was like, I'm an asthma sufferer. She said, don't worry about that. Let me introduce <laughs> you to one of the coaches. I'm like, okay, no worries. Anyway, so I started walking down to the athletics track, okay? Because it's about a, a couple of hundred meters from the clubhouse to the athletics track. And I started seeing all these runners, like they were sprinters, they were field track and field and track athletes, distance runner. And I already started getting in, imposter syndrome. And I started making a judgment in my mind, thinking I'm not good enough. And I'm not, you know, I'm ne- never going to be as good enough as these people. You start creating those like negative thought processes that were going through your mind, right? So the first three to six months were a real struggle for me. Like I could barely run 100, 150 meters without really kind of getting out of breath, right? Mm -hmm. So it was a real struggle for me. Like it was so difficult for me. But as my lungs started to adapt, and so as as my body started to adapt, as my mindset started to change, my coach who at the time, what I loved about my coach is that he, back in the day, of course, he had won his trophies, medals, and was a track champion. But he could turn someone like me, General Joe Public, into a champion. That's what he was claimed to fame for. And in that process, I'd actually met my training partner at the time. He is the current world and Olympic world champion at the moment in five and 10,000 meters. Wow. So I got trained with him. Right. So his name is Samo Farah. So he was knighted and for his services to the country, but he he's a world five and 10,000 meters. So he was my training buddy and we actually had very similar backgrounds. So it was interesting because he came from Somalia originally. He didn't really know that much English. And, and the difference was, is that he was bullet and I was bullet. So we had very similar, even though we didn't go to the same school, we came from kind of similar backgrounds, poor backgrounds, that kind of stuff. But what was really interesting about this, Ken, is that we used our, we, not weaknesses, but our experiences in being bullied and being introverted and not being so confident. And we use that to compete against each other. So we egged each other on. And during the winter months, when it was like, you know, minus five Celsius outside, which would generally be very, very cold. Mm-hmm. While all the other kids were playing video games inside in the nice and warm, me and my training buddy were out in cold, you know, 
wearing shorts and t-shirt, putting in the training, right? And literally, I remember there was the running track and at the back of the running track, there was this big, boggy, muddy field. And we would go running around this boggy, muddy field. There would be hardly any floodlights. And literally just go run around this field, like just for the sake of it, right? <laughs> As you do. But effectively, after about nine months of training, my asthma had completely disappeared. Wow. Completely disappeared. And within about 18 months, I would say probably 18 months to two years, I'd started to get really good, like really good. And they got to the point where I started representing a county and almost a national level as a runner. My asthma had disappeared. And I used that as a platform to effectively improve my confidence, improve because I was kind of introverted because I didn't have those support mechanisms, but I used running as a prop- as a propulsion, as a momentum, as a platform to drive me forward in life, mm. you know? And at that very same time at the age of 11, 11 was a very special age when we can, about three or four months after I'd got into running, I'd actually start up my first business. I'll quickly share with you how that worked. So literally I was walking there. We were living near close to a nature reserve. I just kind of like was just bumming around as some kid would do, just, you know, glaring at the stream or whatever it is. I just started walking. I started seeing all these golf balls appearing in the in the stream. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And, and so the next day I, I went back with an empty bucket, actually, and I started foraging through bushes, jumping in streams, and I, I didn't have – you know, money for like proper like boots to Mm -hmm. jump in the water. It would just be like shoes and socks off, like go bare feet in type thing and go up to your knees in water and stuff and beyond. And so I started collecting these golf balls. And what I would do is then I would walk towards the fairway around hole 15, hole 16. And I remember the very first time this happened to me. And so I've kind of like, you know, walking around the edge of the fairway. And then I've got these two, old guys coming running over to me in like in sheer panic and they're like saying to me they're like hey they you know because they don't want to hit me in the head with a golf ball that would be kind of embarrassing right and so what what happened is they came over to me and i'm like hey we came over because we were concerned about your safety and they're like what are you doing here and i'm like well i click i find and collect lost golf balls and they're like huh really and they like check their bag and they're like down to one or two golf balls because these guys don't have very good handicaps right they're 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 like they're like average age of like 74 years old right (laughs) so they're not like kind of like greg norman or anything do you know what i mean (laughs) so so they're kind of like so they're like huh by any chance are you selling the golf balls they go and i'm like huh never really thought about that and i was like yeah sure no worries and then we started to get into the set and into the into the skill of sales and negotiation. And so over a period of a short period of time, I started doing a little bit of research. I obviously I know that with golf balls. Now, if you're a golf fan listening in, okay, what's important to say? It's condition, mm. okay, brand, okay. And and then there were a few other skills that I learned when I opened my first business. The opportunity, the ability to walk away and say no. So, you know, when you're going to get a good deal or a raw deal, if you're walking away from a deal, it's got to be good for both parties. So I'd learned the trick of sales negotiation. Like I knew I needed, I had something that they needed, right? And I also knew that if I hang around hole 15 and they got three holes left and they've got like maybe one ball left. Yeah, so you're figuring out. They're panicking. 
Yeah, you're figuring out supply and demand and the timing of it as well. All it and, and you're 11 years old, right? 11 when this happened, right? Right. It seems like it's all just coming instinctively. It's kind of crazy. I mean, especially like I sort of get like, hey, there's some balls here. Maybe I can sell them. But the intellect of mm, let's set up right here. You know, it's almost like let's give them the drink right before they're, they're you know dying of thirst. Right? Like it's it's smart. Absolutely. And I remember the first time I did this, right? So I goes home to my mom with like all of these bags of coins, like pockets of coins. She's like, where did those coins come from? Like, what did you do? Yeah, exactly. Like I robbed yeah. a bank or something. And it's like, and then I told her the story and she's got like super proud because I gave her some of the money so that we could, you know, like effectively buy groceries effectively because mm -hmm. we didn't have that much money. So, you know, and she's like super proud. And so that was kind of like where I really caught my appetite for entrepreneurship and leadership and things like that. So that's kind of where it all started for me. How did, did you stay, well, obviously, if you guys stayed training, how long did you and most stay training partners? How long were you in running? And then when did your time start becoming more occupied with business and, and less with sport? Yeah, sure. So probably around 17, 18 years old. So probably mm -hmm. a good five, six years, I would say. And at that time, you have to start making some serious decisions. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, You'll know this like with, you know, your kids and stuff when you get to school and you finish, you want to go to college or whatever it is. It's kind of like when you get to college and you become a serious athlete, you then have to start making some serious decisions. Do you want to go down the sports arena, you know, the sports field if you're highly talented or whatever it is, or do you go to stop and open your own business or grab a job or whatever it is or apprenticeship or whatever. So you have to start making some big boy, big girl decisions, right? And so that was the decision where I had to spend, I decided that I needed to go off and study, unfortunately, purely because of my background, you know, because I came from a very poor background. I lived off the state for a, for a long period of time and I was just kind of sick and tired of things. Yeah. So, you know, it, you know, it was just kind of fortunate. I was actually, <laughs> when I was at the age of 16, my first, my first proper job was working at McDonald's, you know, just to pay for college fees and go into university and stuff. I, I did that off my back. No sure. one supported me in that financially. So I had to really kind of find my way in very early on in life. But you know, there's a lot of le life lessons to be learned. I think there's also this, I've never talked about it on here before because it, it was kind of an easy decision in hindsight, but I ended up doing some boxing when I was in the U.S. Army and, and I did all right with it. It was kind of at a local level and it's when I was stationed in, in Berlin, Germany. And these kind of local fights turned into me getting orders at some point or the possibility of getting orders. I don't remember if I actually got them or they were going to issue them, but it didn't really matter because what I knew was... I had taken this thing about as far as I was going to take it. So like, even though I was winning my fights, I was, I mean, seeing double in the locker room after a fight that I'd won, you know what I mean? Like it yep. didn't feel like I was winning a lot of these fights and, and competition was only going to get stiffer because now I'd be fighting other people on orders and I was already fighting different countries, but the competition was just going to go way up. And I think there's this line for, I guess for everybody where of course, you want to chase your dreams and all that, right? But I also think, especially when it comes to athletics, because it's a little bit different, it is truly measurable. Like, I was never going to have the footwork 
I, I tried like everything I could do. And sure. same with what you do, there's a certain level of speed you're going to hit as a runner that then Mo separates, right? Then it's Absolutely. Mo and he's going to become a world champion. And right. that line, even though it might only be a 2% difference, is all the difference in the world when it goes from being an amateur to being like a world-class athlete, right? And and so that decision for me was like really easy. Like when they even started talking about it, I was like, no, I need to go back and do my job and like move forward right. and have a career. Or because there's nothing worse to me than seeing an athlete chase a dream that they're probably never going to catch, and then you see them into their 30s and stuff, and it's like, right, like life has kind of gotten by them, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I get it. I mean, it's interesting because if you're a soccer player, if you're an American football player, if you're an athlete, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, you've got all loads of people that are doing the, doing the same. And, and the thing is, there's such a small percentage of people that go through to the top, right? I mean, yeah. it's so minute, like so tiny. Yeah. And so then the risk is, is that do you get injured? then you're kind of screwed, right? You've got no education to fall back on. So when you're really young, it's kind of like, yeah, okay. It's a, There's an element of risk involved, right? So, uh, you know, same for you. You made a conscious decision and it was the same for me. I made a conscious decision. Do I regret it? No, right. I would have stayed the, I would have made the same decision. So at the end of the day, you know, you just don't know. You just don't know. So as you go off to school and you're funding yourself through school, what are some of those other, you know, what what's next after that? What are some of the early mm. career, you know, business decisions or or paths that you took from there? Well, I think I think from there, like when I got to when I <laughs> when I got to the age of eighteen, I mean, I'm like kind of buzzing, like you know, when you're an eighteen year old man, okay, very young, highly energetic. I was doing a I was doing a full time studies, a full time job, and I'd opened up my own first part time massage therapy clinic as well. So <laughs> I didn't really have a lot of time in the day to even breathe. Like, because for me, I always had this mindset, and maybe it's the same for you, but I always had this mindset of the harder you work, the bigger re the reward. I mean, that's, I have a very different outset now but back in the day that's what i thought right so i always was into well i was gonna say I, I i always loved helping people because i didn't get help myself so i'd love to help people that's kind of like some of my core values right i really genuinely love to authentically help people and so i got into my big dream was working on cruise ships mm -hmm. you know working as a physical trainer and doing sports biomechanics and, and massage therapy and that kind of stuff and i did that right so i did that i'd gone out of i'd gone out 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 of england and my regular cruise ship was out of new york and then to bermuda that was my regular cruise so i did that wasn't what it was made out to be and then Hey, what like we start again? We start from scratch. We build it up, and then I ended up getting into fitness, opening up my first business, turn it into a six-figure business, and stuff like that. And just got a little bit. What's the word? And I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet because because I was very good at what I did. I started writing courses for chiropractors, chiropodists, personal trainers, and what their biggest problem was is their clients were going to them and they were getting injured 
right? They were getting, they were, they were suffering from pain. So, you know, you get your average office worker that suffers from lower back pain because he's been sitting on his ass for all day, right? They, you know, and so I, I then started writing courses and then I started teaching the trainers how to get their clients out of pain. So, so that was a very successful career, but then I was just kind of a little bit delusional about where the industry was going. And then I started having it, I had this massive epiphany, Ken, and it was interesting because the epiphany was I woke up one day and I said to myself, there's got to be more to life. I'm literally destined. Like, what is the big legacy piece of puzzle here? Where is the big, what's the big picture here? What's the big impact? What am I making here? And I just felt like I could do more with my life. And I felt like there was a, a disconnect between what I was actually doing to what I really wanted to do. Does that make sense? I'm not sure if you, you can No, it absolutely does. But what was that feeling? Just Was it the feeling of I've accomplished something, but it doesn't feel like much? Or I mean, what was the, was it just a discontent? What was the feeling? I think my feeling was, is that I felt lost and confused at the yeah. time. Yeah. I just like, I literally lacked clarity. I didn't really understand the direction I was going in. in was there terms. a bit like, of, I, I'm sorry, was there a bit of, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but you know, you were talking about, you know, hey, the harder I work, then the better I'll do, right? The more money I'll make, which, you know, I was raised the same way. You know, we didn't, I, I think you had maybe tougher economic circumstances, but ours weren't like awesome. And, you know, a lot of those preconditioned kind of money things like money doesn't grow on trees. You get what you work for, like things like that. Right. And so it's sort of like, well, the input equals the output, right? If I bust mm. my ass for eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, then I'm going to get that, mm. which I don't think is a bad thing to learn, but mm. I also think it's based in scarcity because the antithesis of it is, well, if I don't bust my ass, there won't be anything, right? Which is, which is the same thing, but it's, but mm. it's scarcity driven. And so I'm just wondering when you get to this point, if it's what's all this hard work for, right? Like what, why don't I feel better? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it goes back to understanding what is your purpose, right? Right. What is like, it's kind of like having that conscious, that, that kind of questioning your subconscious mind. And you'll be like, to say to yourself, you're like, what's the point in this? Like, where, yeah. why am I getting up? Like I'm working with clients that, I enjoy working with. But then when it comes to realization where you feel like you can offer the world much more, yeah. you then start questioning your inner critic, you start questioning your subconscious, and you really start to question and you start to try to find answers. That was where I was at. Right. And I really had questions, but I couldn't quite figure out the answers. So it was a real struggle for me. It was a bit like going through quicksand. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It literally felt like going through quicksand. So, and then it took about, I reckon it probably took a, a good 18 months to really try to find my feet. But more importantly, I was trying to discover what my unique, what was my unique, yeah, what's what, your what, what, gift? What's the thing you're going to give, right? Exactly. What is the, what is my genius effectively, yeah. right? What, what do I bring to the game? And so it was through the help of, a coach that I'd met actually, and they had really kind of like got to one learn about me as a friend. And then they was able to kind of, I suppose, demystify and, and bring it all together for me. And that, 
And then that's kind of got me to where I'm at today, which is in the world of business strategy, which is in the world of leadership development and things like that. You know, so it's kind of like for me, I'm in a happy place now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm in a happy place. I'm humble, but I'm in a happy place. And when you get to, when you've been in business for a period of time that I've been in, money isn't my driver. Hmm. My purpose, my authenticity, leading with integrity, it's big picture. Leaving legacy is kind of my core driver. Nothing else, nothing more. Couldn't give a shit about money. So, and it's a mindset shift more than anything else. A complete mindset shift. How do you define legacy for you? What is that for you? Great question. Legacy to me is being able to sort of say to myself, like, why was I, why did God put me on this planet? Mm -hmm. What is my purpose in life? Like, Mm -hmm. based on what do you enjoy, based on your core values, and looking at kind of like, what are your audience or your clients or your customers, what are they actually, what are they crying out for? Mm-hmm. What is their big pain points that you could help them with? You know, so based on your core interests as well, it's going to depend on, and, and it's the same for some of your listeners, right? If you are on a path of discontent, I can guarantee you it's going to be get worse and worse and worse right? unless you change because everyone has choices, Right. But guess what? You have to make that choice. No one can make that choice for you. And I think so- we just feel like, and I don't know if it's a societal thing or what, but I mean, you know, I think, because I know I've been on both sides of this equation, right? I've been on that on that side of not feeling aligned at all. And, you know, again, I, I don't want to blame it on society because there's people who figure it out and there's people who don't, I guess. But <laughs> there is kind of this thing of like, again, going back to the just work hard, right? Just keep going, man. It'll it'll all work out, right? Maybe it's a bump in the road. It's a you're just you're just out of sorts for right now, but like just pound through it. Like keep making money, keep doing whatever. And it's like, mm. like to your point, it's like no, it, it's getting worse, right? I, I, I'm getting further yeah. apart from my north star, right? I'm going off to the east or the west, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because again, your the purpose changes when you get older. Your purpose changes in life. Right. Money doesn't become a main factor. Other things does. Other things become important to you. I'm sure that's the same for yourself, right? Other right. things become important. You've got grandchildren and stuff like that. Right. So the way you're being, using your experience and wisdom, that has completely changed, and the way that you offer your USP to to your core audience and stuff like that. So, you know, with regards to your question, what is legacy? It is literally kind of asking very specific questions to your subconscious with regards to why am I doing what I'm doing? What's important? What's the purpose? Where does it lead to? What's my vision? That's going to be important. What's the vision? Mm. And where do I see myself in the next 10 years? And where do I see myself after I passed along? What do I want to be remembered for? And what are the feelings do I want to give people in terms of like when I pass away, even when I'm not in the room, what do you want them to say about you? Right. Is this one of the areas where you guys really get involved in what you do with your you know, consulting mm. and coaching and all that? Absolutely. Because again, what I find with a lot of people that run businesses, even leaders, is that the core foundation to running a successful business, to being a great leader, it's all 
to do with clarity. Because if you don't have a roadmap for success, if you don't have a GPS compass, if you don't know what direction you're going to go in, you can go in a million different ways and they might not be able to lead you to a happy path. But if you understand and you get some clarity on what you're doing in terms of activity wise, in terms of like what you're doing, you know, and really kind of assess where you are. And this is all about self-awareness. If you're right. aware of your, not, I wouldn't say, uh, yes, your strengths, but also room for improvement, right? If you know that, you know, because it's a path, right? It's it's a journey, right? There, there, there is never a, an end goal. There's always a continuous room for improvement, right? It, totally. You know, in the U.S. Army, they teach you that, right? They They teach you and they drill that in you, right? They push you, especially in the Marines. So they give you and they drill you that into your mindset. And that's what's going to help you move the needle that little bit further. And there's a lot of mentors out there in the leadership realm. But I think it was Jim Rohn that said this. But the idea is, is that every day wake up saying that you need to make a 1% improvement in your life every single day. And you will be in a much happier place because either you're you're growing or you're dying. Right. You can't stay in the right. You can't plateau. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm saying well, so. Yeah, nothing stays still, and and one percent a day compounded is ridiculous growth, right? Like it's just crazy. It doesn't feel like much in the moment, but it's it's ridiculous over time. Tell me, because I like to whenever I'm hearing someone talk, and I don't know if it's because I'm auditory, but I also like to tie it in. I like I like chronological order. So when did you have kind of this epiphany or or wake up? How many years ago was that? That, that where you were like, hey, I don't know if I'm on the right path or not, and and had to had to yeah, work that out. I reckon I was probably in my early 30s. So probably talking about eight to 10 years ago, I would say. Yeah, it's probably about 10 years ago, but then it took a good 18 months, couple of years to figure everything out from a clarity piece. And, you know, for some people, the, working out clarity could take a month. Right. But for others, it could take years. I know people, I know a lot of business owners, small, big leaders as well. You know, they just go on this pathway and you know, it's like you brought up a mindset, the mindset of, oh, it's just going to work out okay. That's a mindset, right? That's a mindset that you believe. It's a belief system that you believe in, mm -hmm. okay? If you go around believing that everything's just going to work out fine, I can guarantee you it'll have to completely the polar opposite. Mm. Completely yeah. the polar opposite. Yeah. Because it's like, yo, you want the universe to sort out your problems? No. Right. You have to sort your problems out. You have to sort your challenges out. You right. know what I'm saying? So manifestation will get you nowhere without taking massive action, right? I mean, yeah, manifestation is a result of the universe conspiring with you, not for you, I think necessarily. I mean, I think you've got to be a co co-creator in, in your own future. I'm gonna shift gears just a little bit. How did you get I know you're a big advocate for like women in the workplace and like where did that fit in and where did that come from? And was it during this same time frame and if i'm and if i'm jumping ahead mm. in the story just wrap me back around <laughs> you know it's interesting so it's a good story i've got another good i'm full of good stories today cool so believe it or not i about probably about ooh, doo, 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 yeah about eight years ago maybe around eight years ago no maybe yeah six to eight years ago i was still into i really wanted to get into the corporate well-being space effectively right because again i wanted to do speaking, offer leadership, offer, you know, offer ways in which companies can improve their employee engagement effectively, right? So I was really into that, really, very, very much into that. And so 
Anyway, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> Don't just hate that. No okay, the women in the workplace. Yes. yes. So interestingly enough, I came up with this innovative idea about how we as a company could get access to core decision makers. So the I'll tell you the quick quick how it will work. So I came up with this idea. And the idea was is that, okay, so I've got my key decision makers. And they're mainly on LinkedIn, but they don't have time to have a conversation with me. And everyone's busy. Right. So I just thought to myself, I thought, how can I get access to these people? How can I have a conversation with these people? And I just thought, these people must have gatekeepers. They do. Mm-hmm. So I decided to create the association of extraordinary PAs, PAs as in personal assistant or sure. executive assistants. Right. So I created this personal development organization. It was completely free, by the way, got sponsorship. It was a great new idea. I, I did it for about 18 months. But the idea was, was that I built a relationship up with the PAs and, and executive assistants. We gave them some lessons in personal development, whether it be around mindset, whether it be around productivity, whether it be around tools, resources, whatever it might be. But we effectively gave them some free stuff effectively, right? They'd come along, they'd get fed for free and being able to have a couple of glasses of champagne and wine and that kind of stuff. And so over a period of time, I started to develop a relationship with those PAs, okay? That's where the women journey started to really start for me. And then, I don't know, for some particular reason, it's like, you you may have kind of come across this, but you magnetize who you kind of like, you know, if they like you, what you're about in terms of your core values, I then started to not get physically attracted, but they were kind of magnetized towards me. The women started to be mm. magnetized towards me because they could see what I could offer them as a resource. So I started off with working with women, mainly in the professional professionals, you know, those gatekeepers that would introduce me to their bosses. And then it started transitioning into women that ran their own companies, run their own businesses, small and large. And then I started just kind of supporting them because, you know, men and women are very different the way that we're wired. You would have probably read the book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus type of thing. And so just being able to use certain skills where women can take the skills from men and vice versa, we can learn off each other so that we can be better leaders, better entrepreneurs and things like that. So that's kind of how I got into the whole kind of like women's space. And I ended up getting on the front cover of Global Woman magazine and they did a massive thing with me on that. So that was kind of cool. That's um, really so, cool. So that's kind of where it's at. I have yeah. this theory, you know, and it's probably not too far-fetched just based on your background, but I mean, I think that even though it shouldn't be this way, I mean, it's 2023 for God's sakes, but you know, I think sometimes <laughs> women are underrepresented in certain industries, right? And at times yep. it can feel like a boys club depending on the, you know, the job or the space or whatever. And I think, you know, you were the 11 year old with your hair falling out with asthma with, you know, and I, and I think you were the underdog, right? And I kind of feel like there's probably that part in you that's always like, you see an underdog, you're going to gravitate there. And I think that's probably why they were attracted back to you is like, here's a guy that kind of gets where we're coming from a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. hundred percent. You're absolutely bang on. I, I suppose you would class me as a bit of an underdog really. And, but the, you know, you can learn so many lessons, you know, when I was an athlete, I'd learned so many mindset hacks, for example, 
right? You are in the US Army. There is a lot of things that you can take from a leadership perspective, from a, a mindset attributes perspective and bringing it into business. There's just so much that we guys can offer, not just leaders and entrepreneurs, but we can offer so much because again, we have that, we've been in there, we've experienced it. Whereas some entrepreneurs that are kind of new to the game, or maybe they've, maybe we've got listeners in that have maybe finished corporate and then they've opened that business, right? That's a complete transition shift, right? There's a lot of things that you have to learn, not just about running a business, but you know, your biggest enemy, your biggest competition is you. Right. You are the main, you are the main spanner that holds a business back generally. Yes. I coach kind of more in our space, which Leaders Lab is really a leadership recruiting company. So we place leaders in, in jobs. And then nice. I'm a coach in kind of a worldwide recruiters group. And yeah, mindset is, you know, it's always mindset. It's like 80% of it is, is just mindset. It's all all the entrepreneurs that say they want to be their own boss, which which is weird because if you ask someone, why do you want to be your own boss? Probably the number one answer would be freedom. And being free and being a boss are almost like polar opposites of each other, right? I want to be free, but I want to be my own boss. Well, if you want to be your own boss, technically, shouldn't you be telling yourself what to do, right? Shouldn't you be showing up and be like super disciplined and be like maybe even tougher on yourself than you would someone else? But literally people freeze sometimes when they leave that corporate environment and into like, oh my God, I've got to self-direct now, you know? Yeah, I think it's super cool. I also think, you know, whatever that underdog story is, whether it's somebody who, again, grew up as a kid and had some of the things that you went through or somebody that had a drug problem or somebody that was in trouble with the law or somebody that, you know, you know, lost 150 pounds. It's like, I actually want to learn from people who have been there and done that, right? Like, I, I think that, you know, and we can all learn from each other in a variety of different things. But I guess what I'm saying is in a leader, I don't necessarily want someone who's always had all the answers and always done well, right? I want someone who goes, you know, I've been exactly where you were. In fact, you know, might've even been a little tougher or a little bit different. And here's what happened, right? Not, Absolutely. I've always been on top and you should be like me. Like that, that is an old way of, of thinking that isn't super effective anymore, you know, and probably never was. I agree. I think with a lot of people, especially in social media space in particular, is that we create this perception in our mind that everyone's doing so well and that kind of stuff. But under the under the belly of it all, it's not such a pretty story because there's right. always adversity. There's always challenging. There's always resiliences. And, you know, it's the same with our mastermind group. You know, the reasons why we want to give our members our, you know, our edge is like you just picked up a really good point. We want to learn from people that have been there, done that, got the T-shirt. They've been through the adversities. They've been through the the hard times. But when you get useful insights from people that have been there, done that with people that are kind of like, what's the word I was looking for? People that have already achieved what you're wanting to achieve. Okay, then it kind of sets you apart from everybody else because again, you're getting insight, you're gaining a an accelerated learning module, yes. or a kind of like it's kind of like university, but on 10 levels higher in entrepreneurship. So that to me is kind of like absolutely 100 percent imperative. Yes, I think. I think that old phrase, you know, find a mentor and model them, right? Is what you're talking about. And it's like, it's just why reinvent the wheel? And it's funny. I've had to learn that lesson repeatedly because there's times I'm just like, <laughs> you know, it's almost like, why don't you just pull over and ask for directions? It's like, I'll figure it out. Like, even though it's going to take three <laughs> times longer, you know, 
I've gotten better as I've gotten older with it. So talk to us now about, I know that you are very involved in helping businesses scale quickly, grow quickly. Can you talk to us about that and kind of what your day-to-day mission is now? Sure. Absolutely. So yeah, as you said, we love to to help companies grow. One of the things that we've identified as working with a lot of, um, so we mainly work with uh, people in the professional services industry. So that'll be your recruitment firm. That'll be mm-hmm. your lawyer, attorney, accountant, CPA, that kind of stuff. And what we found is that a lot of the clients that we're dealing with are hugely experienced. They've got huge amounts of credibility. They've got degrees and PhDs, you know, to your heart's content, okay? They're good at what they do, right? Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, with some of the clients that we work with, is they'll, they'll build their business up and then they'll just plateau. They'll just leave just like plateau for like months, if not years, and they'll stay there because they, they their aspiration is that they want to be free. They want to make a transition to the next level, right? They have this lack of clarity about that, what that looks like. But number two, they don't know what they have confidence and knowledge. They have gaps in their knowledge, know-how about how to get about doing it. So um, we've already talked about clarity and stuff. So what we do is we effectively have a mastermind group effectively. So we put together a, a huddle, if you like, or a small group of people, and we literally share experiences. We gain insights from other businesses, different industry sectors. What did you experience? Why did you do that? How did it make you feel? So we're able to get a, a, an idea of when we ourselves come into a situation that's similar, we're more adapted and more resourceful to be able to, you know, kind of push through, if you like. Does that make sense? It totally does. One of the things that I'm thinking of as you're talking is I've had some friends that have been like medical professionals. So let's say dentist or like a general MD with a practice. And I feel like the traditional, and this would be like a traditional, like successful, like way to do business, right? Would be you go to medical school, maybe you go have to pay your dues at the hospital for a while, work in the E, maybe you get some money somehow, you're still paying off your enormous student loans and all that debt. But <laughs> then you eventually get out and you start your own practice. As you start your own practice, it builds up and you're making good money. So that's the dream. But within the dream, you're working like, you're probably getting back to what we talked about where, what, like this is all there is because you're working 60 hours a week or 70 or 80 and the money's really good, but the whole business depends on you. And it's going to like completely, it's not just going to implode. It's just going to cease to exist because you're the doctor and like no one else is the doctor. So what do you do next? And it is like the definition of being on the hamster wheel. The other thing is it's not scalable. It's not sellable. So if you're, if you're lucky, I feel like in that environment, you get an understudy under you that you then train and then sell the business for less than it's worth because that's the only way to sell it. That seems to be the model <laughs> in that world. Am I right? What <laughs> kind you're, of you're all, you're pretty much bang on. I think they did a survey and this only applies to the UK market or, or the, sorry, the US market. And I, I think it was a survey of it was a large amount of, I think it was like 10,000 business owners or whatever it is. But only 4% of those 10,000 had an exit strategy in place. Less than 4% it was. Right. So Effectively, bringing up what you just said, right, it goes back to the analogy of, again, when it comes to scaling, they lack. So there's a few things that they lack. Number one is they have fear, first of all, the fear of letting go, you know, because effectively, if you built something up, right, it doesn't mean even when you're a kid, right, when you're building your first Lego set, it's like, 
I built this, yeah. right? This is mine, right? It's yeah. kind of like my baby type thing. Same with a business, right? You build something, right? You're proud of it. You don't want to let it go and give it to somebody else, hand it over to someone, right? Because guess what? They might destroy it or take it away, right? So they have that fear. They also have this fear of, they have this, well, it's not really a fear, but they have this skill of micromanaging. So they micromanage everyone and everything, okay? So they'll never get out of that cycle because like you've highlighted, they don't see their wife. They don't see their, you know, they they don't know what freedom is, right? So they they lack this necessarily, uh, they, they lack this mindset, but they lack the necessary know-how, skills, right. and knowledge to know exactly what is it that we need to do? Oh, do we need to systemize? Do we need to do, do we need to bring this person in? Do we need a trick? So, so it's kind of like, you know, it, we every business is is different, right? Every leader is different, and and so we have to really kind of like take that into account, into an into an account. So that's kind of like what we're doing right now, and it's very exciting because it's kind of like there's not like a one size fits all approach. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. One thing I kind of dig about it, just as you're talking about it, I love hearing. You know, to me, business and business strategy, not to be cliche about it, but there's kind of a gamesmanship to it in a way. Like I like the the act of like figuring it out. Like, you know, I, I love shows like, uh, what's that one on Netflix? It's like an about this kind of thing. And it shows you like how fish aquariums are made. I don't know, like just weird stuff, right? And I'm like, <laughs> I like seeing how businesses are broken down and how they get to their number and how they grow. And so, yeah, it's always cool to be in in masterminds like that. Anything else for us before we wrap up? I've really enjoyed this talk. Thank you. I've really, I've really thoroughly enjoyed it myself. And yeah, uh, yeah again, it, it goes back to what do you want in life? Yeah. Right. What do you want in life? And and this kind of realization of my bigger purpose, my bigger impact, my my legacy. You know, really going back to that because again, whether you're a leader, whether you're running a recruitment firm, whether you're running a, a small agency, it doesn't really matter. Fundamentals don't change. Those right. basic fundamentals don't change. It doesn't matter what, where you are and what you do in life, okay? You have to answer specific questions to yourself to make sure you're on a path of fulfillment, happiness. If you're not happy where you're at, guess what? It's your fault. No one else right. is. Don't blame the economy. Don't blame Don't blame the president. Don't blame who else, whoever else you can think about. It's your fault and no one else, okay? So you have to fix it. So we all have choices in life and it's down to your choices. We're going to lead to whatever path you decide to go. So that's kind of my final thoughts. No, I love that. And, I, and again, it all comes from, from, it's such great advice, but it also comes from you. No one was coming to save you when you were 11 and selling golf balls, right? You had to find nope. a way. You had to sell golf balls. Nope. You had to take them back to the golfers. You had to sell in the 15th. You had to figure it out. And as hard as that probably was back then, that's where the gift was, right? That's what started yep. this whole entrepreneur journey was wading through that pond back in the day. Yep. I mean, there's no pity party here, right? right. So it's kind of, <laughs> you need to just kind of like, you know, man or woman up and, and yeah. just, just do what you need to do. Or, or if you don't know the answers, find someone who can help you because totally. we've all got choices. Totally. And I know you're out there and you can help our listeners and we'll put all of your contact information in our show notes. Thanks a lot. Pleasure to meet you. Appreciate it. Likewise. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Leaders Lab podcast. If you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed making it for you, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening and leave us a five-star review. 
And while you're there, make sure to follow the show. That'll make sure that new episodes get downloaded to your device so you can listen from wherever you are. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week in the Leaders Lab.